ahead. Mike and Amy Martin are ready to take uh, children downstairs for children's church. So kids head to the back of the sanctuary and they'll be going downstairs with you. And here we're going to pray together as they go. Father, we thank you for this time we have to open the Bible now and let your perfect word speak to our hearts. Thank you for the music that has already spoken to us and prepared our hearts. And we pray now, Lord, that you would impress upon us the truth of your word. We know you have brought us here by the work of your spirit has drawn us to be here today. And so help us to hear your voice clearly. And may what we read and see in your word now, may your spirit apply it to each life. And Lord, if there are decisions that we need to make this morning, help us to not just think that you're speaking to the person next to us. You're speaking to us too. And may we be obedient to you. May we follow the moving of your spirit. May your will be done. Bless our children and those who now lead them downstairs. And use this time now for your glory, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, let's open our Bibles to Luke 22. We began last week a journey beginning with the Garden of Gethsemane that will culminate with the crucifixion and then the resurrection of Jesus. Easter Sunday is April 12th this year. And so from now until Easter, we're going to be following the account that Luke provides of these final hours of Jesus' life on earth and what he did for us. And today we come to the betrayal of Jesus. We saw last week how Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you, if you look at all the different gospel accounts, Jesus took uh, 11 of the disciples Eight of them probably stayed near the entrance to the garden. He took three of them on in a little further, and then he went a stone's throw even further and prayed by himself. And we saw that in that prayer, he said, Let this cup, Father, let this cup pass from me. If it, if it be possible, let this cup, the cup of this suffering, to drink deeply of the sin of the world, to become sin for us. Jesus saw that that was what was ahead. And the perfect sinless Son of God, we can never know how hard that was, what a moment that was for Him as He looked at what was ahead. We're all sinners. And yet when we're in the presence of, of uh, terrible evil, we are bothered by that, even though we're sinners. But imagine Jesus, who was sinless, the Holy One, that all the sin of the world would be upon Him. He would become sin for us. And yet, He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He was willing to do the will of the Father. And that will is that the great sacrifice for sin be made. And only He could make it. And so He went forward with that decision. And when he rose, he and the disciples, this is what happened next in Luke 22, beginning at verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, 
And he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. The betrayal of Jesus. Is there anything more painful than to feel that you have been betrayed by someone that you're close to? Someone that you love? Someone that you have helped? Someone you have cared for? And you thought you had a bond, a relationship, and then betrayal. I don't know that there's anything much more painful than that in life. And we see here that Jesus, after having committed himself to do the will of the Father, to go to the cross for us, he experienced this great betrayal. I think we sometimes think that if we could just be good enough and, and holy enough and committed enough to God that we wouldn't have to go through things like this. And yet, look at Jesus. Here was Jesus had spent three years with these 12 disciples, Judas included. Three years, day after day, day and night. And one of these 12 betrayed him. I don't think Jesus could have been any better or more holy because he was perfect, wasn't he? He was God himself. And yet here he was betrayed by one of the 12. And the others, they didn't do what Judas did exactly. But, you know, at the cross... Standing there at the cross, the only one we know of that's mentioned standing there with Mary was John, right? So after three years of ministry, when this terrible moment of testing came, the culmination of all that Jesus came to do, his disciples were not very mature, were they? So in your life as a Christian... When you feel like people have let you down. It doesn't necessarily mean that you haven't been faithful to God. It's human nature. And we have all betrayed Jesus with our sin. Every one of us is a sinner. And when we sin, we shake our fists in the face of the holy and perfect God. And so, lest we get on our high horse, as my dad used to say, we need to be humble about the fact that there's not any of us here perfect. 
I like the sign that Joe has put out there on one side, if I can remember it right. This is the perfect church for those who aren't. You know, none of us is perfect, are we? And really, we begin to be in the place we need to be in to grow in our faith when we're willing to admit to God, I need your help. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the prayer we need to pray. Well, Jesus faced betrayal by those he loved. So if you have felt betrayed in your life, you're in good company. Jesus was betrayed. In verses 47 and 48, and then if you look at the parallel passage over in John 18, turn over there to John 18, and we'll just read some of that because it, it helps to fill in some gaps that Luke doesn't specifically include. Look at John 18. In verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. You know, I am is the name of God in the Old Testament. And so Jesus here, the very power of who he was, that he was God, fully God and fully man. When he said, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. And he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, so John names who cut the ear off of the high priest's servant. John was also always, he, he enjoyed giving little details about Peter. John, it said, John tells us, it says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? And back over to Luke. Luke tells us that Jesus then healed that servant's ear. So Jesus faced this terrible moment of betrayal in the garden. And this cohort of people who came, uh, there was a large contingent that came. Some from the temple guard, some from the some Roman soldiers. There were apparently some from the from the uh, chief priests and those who hated Jesus so much, all of them together at night, they came to arrest Je uh, Jesus. And Judas betrayed him with what? A kiss. A kiss. You see, that was really 
a sign of great honor and affection that often people would give to a rabbi, one who they, they believed had great teaching ability or authority. And here, Judas cloaks his evil intent with what was commonly seen as something to show honor. So he kisses Jesus as a sign to the assembled group of who they were to arrest. And so the deep wickedness and evil that was being carried out, it was cloaked in it was cloaked with the sign or the symbol of love. You know, human beings are good at doing that, aren't we? Sometimes we have very bad intentions, but we like to put a pretty face on it. We like to make others think that you know, we have all the best intentions when really we don't. And that's what Judas did here to Jesus. So in a sense, Judas was saying to Jesus, I love you, even as he was turning him over to his death. Well, Judas, we see a lot in Scripture about him. This was not, this was just the culminating moment of what had been building for a long time. Look back at Luke 22, the first six verses. It says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, Jesus, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Jesus was so loved, so beloved by the common people who followed him and gathered around him that they, they had to look for a moment when they could arrest Jesus without the crowds of people who loved him being nearby. They were afraid there'd be an uprising. And so Judas here sells Jesus to them. This had been building in Judas over these three years. I'm sure when Judas began to follow Jesus, he thought it was going to be wonderful. And he, he thought it was going to be a, a way for the people to be free of the Romans, perhaps. But then when he saw the power of Jesus, Judas, instead of yielding to the will and plan of God, decided he wanted to get rich. He saw it as a way to get personal gain. How do we know that? Well, in John chapter 12, after Jesus was anointed, remember how he was anointed by Mary? This was just a few days before his death. He went to Mary and Martha's home in the home of Lazarus. And there, Mary took some very costly oil and anointed Jesus. And Jesus said this was really anointing him for burial, the burial that would come. But if you look in John 12, verses 4 through 6, it says, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, 
Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put into it. That's what the scripture just comes out and says about Judas. He was the treasurer. He was the keeper of the money box. And what little they had in that money box, it says he was a thief. He was used to taking what was in it for himself. And that was kind of the last straw because when you see that event happening, when Mary anointed Jesus and Judas said, why wasn't this sold for 300 denarii and the money put in the money box? After that, he made this agreement to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. You see, Judas betrayed Jesus because he finally realized that Jesus was not going to sanction what he wanted. And isn't that ultimately what happens in the life of every person who rejects Jesus? When you come to the place that you realize that Jesus is asking you to give your life to him and to sign on for his plan and his will and his agenda, and you decide, I don't want that. I don't want God to control my life. I have my own agenda. I have my own plan. And Jesus became useless to Judas at that point. And in his, in his terrible heart of betrayal, he went and sold Jesus for money. Matthew 26, verses 14 to 16, it says that Jesus sold, uh, Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver right after the anointing at Bethany. Judas thought that in doing what he was doing, he was going to find satisfaction. Well, if I can't get money from Jesus, I'll just sell him and get money that way. He took the short way. He thought to satisfaction. Ultimately, that's when betrayal always happens, is when someone who we thought was committed to us and to what was good and right when they make the decision that we're useless to them to get what they want. They decide to go another way. They decide to take another avenue. And that's when Judas betrayed Jesus. God has treated that way a lot in this world. There are many who like Judas, they start down the road of following Jesus, but they never make that full commitment of their life to him. Because somewhere along the way, they decide, well, this is not for me. I'm not getting what I want out of this. And so I'm going to go my own way. But that way is the end of destruction. That way is the way of death, not the way of life. How did Jesus respond to this? Look in verse 48, Luke 22, verse 48. Jesus responds. It says, Jesus said to him, Judas, he directly speaks to Judas. Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? I think what Jesus was trying to do, he was trying one last moment to jar Judas into thinking about what he was doing 
with his life. He was saying to Judas, would you betray me with a kiss? Really, Judas? Is that what you're going to do with your life? Don't you realize the danger to your own soul? All of that, I think, is bound up in that question that Jesus asks of Judas. He doesn't swear at Judas. He doesn't scream at him. He doesn't curse him. Jesus would never do that. But what he does, even in this last moment with Judas, he's trying to get his attention. He's trying to get him to see that what he's doing is only going to be destructive to his own life. You see, Jesus had been loving Judas as well as all of those other disciples for these three years, knowing all the while that Judas was going to betray him. How do we know that Jesus loved him? Other than the fact that we, we know Jesus loves everyone, but think about this. Jesus knew all along that Judas would be the betrayer. And yet the other disciples, right up to the moment it happened, they did not know that it was going to be Judas. They didn't know. In fact, when they gathered together and, Judah and Jesus had said, one of you is going to betray me, they began to come to Jesus one by one and say, Lord, is it I? Is it, is it me? They didn't know it was going to be Judas. And you know what that tells us about Jesus? In those three years, he never treated Judas differently than he treated all the others. Not once. He never gave a clue, never gave any indication that it was going to be Judas to the other disciples. He loved him just like he loved all the others. And here in this last moment, he's trying to reach Judas. He's trying to get his attention. I think God is doing that here this morning in the lives of some. God's trying to get our attention. He's trying to get us to see that the only way life will ever really happen, life on this earth that's worth living, eternal life, is through Jesus Christ our Lord. That we have to be willing not just to follow Jesus in a perfunctory way, not willing to really commit to him or give our life to him the way Judas did. We have to give ourselves to him to receive his love, his forgiveness, and his grace. One writer said, a man will go to hell unsaved, but no man will go to hell unloved. No one goes to hell unloved because God loves every person. Just like he loved Judas. But if that love is rejected, if that love is not received, then whoever does not receive Jesus Christ will go to hell by their own decision. Jesus didn't come to condemn anybody. The Bible says we're already condemned by our own sin. We send ourselves to hell by our own rebellion against God. Jesus is trying to reach each one of you and every person in this world. His love is that great. And then a third thing we see here, you can be made whole by the hand of Jesus. I don't think anything is in Scripture by accident. It's not here just because it happened to work out that way. The cutting off of the ear of the high priest's servant, Malchus, Peter, in his impetuousness, 
in his desire to defend Jesus. And of course, this is the same Peter that we're going to see just a short time later. He was afraid that for a servant girl to even recognize that he had been with Jesus. That's why I think we're so intrigued by Peter. He reminds us of ourselves. At one moment, we can, we can seem like we're so, we're so on fire for the Lord, and then the next minute, we're scared to death. That was Peter. And here he, he, he takes the sword and cuts off the, the, the servant of the high priest's ear. And what does Jesus say? Permit even this. And then he says he heals the ear of the high priest's servant. He restored him to health. You see, Jesus, by his power, by his hand, he can make you whole. And that's what he did with this servant. I think as a sign that what he was about to do in going to the cross to bear our sin, he was going to make us well. He was going to save us from our sin. Just as he, he restored that servant to health, he came to save us all from sin and death. I believe it was J.C. Ryle that noted that just after this, just after he healed this servant's ear, when they took Jesus from the garden, they bound him. And from that moment until his death, Jesus was bound except when they nailed him to the cross. And so the final thing he did with his hands, free, was to heal that servant's ear. Jesus, up to that very last moment, was still caring for people, still healing people making people whole. And even when he was bound and then nailed to the cross, he was still making people whole because he was willing to give his life for you and me, to take our place so that we could have eternal life. No one is beyond the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. No one. There is no sin so great that God won't forgive you and restore you, and give you a life worth living. No one. And so we need to not only believe that for ourselves, we need to share that in the world that we live in. There are a lot of people that feel like their life is over. And that's why they try to, they try to, to take the pain and somehow mask it with all of the things that they get involved with because they hurt so deeply. They think their life is meaningless. There's no hope. There's no future. There is hope. There is a future in Jesus Christ. And he will bring healing and wholeness to the life of anyone who trusts him. And in those final two verses, darkness or light, verse 52 then Jesus said to the chief priests, the captains of the temple, the elders who had come to him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? See, there were some of those same characters there that night who had been after Jesus for three years, who hated him 
because he was a threat to their power, a threat to their control, a threat to their livelihood. And here they, they thought they had him. And Jesus said to them, have you come out against me like I'm some common criminal? I've been with you, he said, in the temple every day, and you haven't tried to arrest me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. This is your hour. What hour was it? It was the dead of night. They didn't try to arrest Jesus in daylight because they knew how difficult it would be. He was so loved by people. So here they are slinking around in the darkness to do their evil deeds. The old timers, you know, used to say, maybe someone in your family used to tell you this, nothing good happens after midnight. Anybody ever tell you that? Nothing good. When you think about it, there's a lot of truth to that. Nothing good happens after midnight. Well, here they were after midnight arresting Jesus, doing not the will of God, but their own evil agenda. And they took Jesus away. But Jesus said to them, this is your hour and the power of darkness. Darkness becomes a theme. All these trials that we're going to see, they occurred in the dark, which was illegal in the first place. It shouldn't have been happening in the dark like it was. And then when Jesus was on the cross at midday, what happened? Darkness would come. This is the hour of darkness because you see the sin of the world was about to be laid upon this sinless sacrifice this son of God who came to give himself for us his love for us was that great so the question is is it going to be darkness in your life or is it going to be light here was the light of the world that came into a dark world being betrayed in darkness. Darkness. You don't want your life to be controlled by darkness, by Satan, by evil, by sin. You don't want that. It can sometimes be masked to look very alluring and interesting and exciting, but it always ends in a terrible place. What God wants is your life to be full of light. The light of the world to come into your life so that you become the light of the world. That's what Jesus will do. This is your hour, Jesus said, and the power of darkness. But that hour passed very quickly, didn't it? And what Jesus accomplished in that darkness was to lead to the glorious morning of the resurrection. And the light of Christ has dawned. And his light will dawn in your life if you will ask him to come into your heart and take control. You can do that. Jesus stands ready to bring light instead of darkness. Will you pray with me? We thank you, Lord, for this passage. It's hard to read what you went through. And, Lord, we pray that you will continue to speak to us from these verses of Scripture. 
apply it to each life here. Lord, if there's someone here this morning who needs to give their life to you, they need their life to be transformed by your power and grace. Help them to be willing to say, Lord Jesus, I know I have sinned. Thank you for dying on the cross to pay for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. Come into my life. Thank you for saving me, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you're faithful to hear the prayer of anyone who calls upon your name. And now in these moments of decision, help us, Lord, to be willing publicly or privately to follow your leadership, to do what you want us to do. There may be someone here who needs a church home and you're leading them to this church. Or maybe someone needs to take a public stand for Jesus and say, I have given my life to Jesus. I want to follow him in baptism. Or to recommit their life as a Christian to you. Lord, when we see what you did for us, how can we do anything less? So now give us the courage to follow your leadership. May your will now be done in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.